You can open your Bibles. We are in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22 today. Uh, I know uh, Scott already prayed for uh, the people of Ukraine um, today, but I'm sure I assume that the last couple weeks we've all uh, just struggled as we've been taking in the images, as we've been reading news stories, um, perhaps seeing posts on social media, um, praying for uh, both Ukraine and Russia, everyone that's, that's involved with this. Uh, I've been struck by the courage of uh, Ukrainians. I mean, hearing about, you know, people that are untrained military personnel, like they're, they're getting a gun and, and coming in, which is scary, obviously, um, but, but also just so uh, courageous and, and heroic. Um, I want to recommend a book. I just, I happened to read this a couple months ago. Um, it's uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a, it's a graphic novel. It's, it's actually, this is a really, really cool book. It's called The Faithful Spy, A True Story, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the, the Plot to Kill Hitler. I didn't know Bonhoeffer's story. He's a theologian, a pastor, uh, as a, a German Christian. Um, anyway, the, it, I'm not at all saying that what's going on in Ukraine is exactly the same, but it's, it's uh, reading this a couple months ago has helped me think a little bit about Christians both in, in Russia and Ukraine. So if someone wants to borrow this after the service, just come and, and get this from me. But there are two, uh, two things I learned about Ukraine this week that I did not know that have been so encouraging to me as a, a Christian. Uh, the first is that uh, Ukraine sends more Christian missionaries across the globe than any other European nation. I did not know that. Um, so encouraged by that. And, the, and it's also caused me to pray for those missionaries that are all over the globe and not at home uh, with, uh, with fan, uh, friends and, and family, loved ones. Um, and the second is uh, Ukraine has the largest Awana program of any European nation. I, I did not know that. So if you don't know what Awana is, it's, um, it's a program for kids to help them memorize scripture. So just think about that. There are tons and tons of Ukrainian children that have been memorizing scripture, right? Some of them for years and years. And, and, and right now, God is no doubt using that word hidden in their hearts for, for a time like this. Not Probably not just for them, but, but even for their, their families or whoever they, they can share. So I'm so, so encouraged by that. And our passage this week, um, as we look at the boldness uh, of, of the apostles, the, the, the courage of the apostles, I, I just couldn't help all week but think of, of brothers and sisters in, in Ukraine, Russia, every, everywhere. Um, so later... Um, during our family meeting, actually, we're going to get to pray uh, for the, the Ukrainian people. But let, let's talk about our passage today. So we've broken up this story into, into several pieces here. It actually goes way back um, to chapter 3, verse 1. So I'll recap to get you up to speed in case you haven't been with us or maybe you've just forgotten. Peter and John, uh, they were on their way to the temple. Uh, there's this... Uh, crippled man. He's been crippled since birth, uh, begging for money. Um, they, they turned to him like, we don't have money, but, but in the name of Jesus, be healed. Um, so he's, he's healed. He can walk. He can run. He can, he can leap. And he is doing all of those things. And he's praising God. And it, it, it stirs up quite a commotion, as you can imagine. These people, they'd seen him every day there begging, and now he's jumping up, telling them that, that God had healed them. So the crowd gathers, and they want to know, how in the world, Peter and John, did you do this? And Peter takes this as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Like, we did not do this. This is not our power. This was, this was the power of Jesus 
who did this. Jesus who came, he tells them, and, and you rejected him. You had him killed. He was raised from the dead, and it's by faith in the name of Jesus, which is a faith supplied by Jesus, that, that you can be saved. So as they're preaching, the religious leaders, they do not like this. It says that they're greatly annoyed. And they came and they arrested Peter and John. Then the next day, the religious leaders questioned Peter and John. Like, so what, what power or in what name did you heal this man? They had, a, they had a choice here that they could have made. They could have still told the truth in answering that question without fully getting into all of the details and possibly saving them from some trouble. They could have said, oh, the name that we healed this man in, oh, it's Yahweh. This is the name of, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That would have gone over better than them saying, well, it's through Jesus that this has happened. Right? They, they pointed to Jesus because that's what the Spirit, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit points us to Jesus. So they doubled down. And now at this point, even more people are believing in Jesus. So we come to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they'd recognize that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So in verse 13, uh, the religious authorities make three observations about Peter and John. The first is that they see the boldness that they have. And boldness, I stumbled upon this, um, this description of boldness or definition. Boldness is being clear in the face of fear. And certainly, Peter and John in this situation had reasons to fear. This is the very group that played a part in getting Jesus crucified. There's no doubt that they could have put Peter and John on a similar path, perhaps even the same path. Or they could have had them locked up in prison for a very long time or beaten publicly as an example or, or kicked out of Jerusalem or who knows what else they could have done. But it would not have been hard for Peter and John to figure out ways to be afraid. And it's made me think, what fears do we face when we have the opportunity to talk about Jesus? What is it that we are afraid of? Here are a couple I think a lot of us are, are afraid that we will not know enough, right? That we'll try to get in a conversation with someone about Jesus and we just won't, we won't have the answers. We won't know exactly where to go in scripture. We won't have the words. 
And, and, and I get it. I don't like not knowing the answers to things um, just as much as, as you don't like it. But I, I also wonder if, if there's a real demonstration there of humility when we're talking to someone about Jesus and, and they ask us a question. We, we don't have the answer off the top of our head. Man, how good would it be for us to just say, you know what, that's a great question, right? Like, I love it when someone tells me I asked a great question. I guarantee someone talking to you about Jesus, if they say that, if you tell them that's a great question, they will not be put off by that. You tell them, man, I need to think about this more. I need to, uh, give me some time and I'll get back to you. I think we're so afraid of that and we shouldn't be. Or maybe it's a particular person that we're afraid of. Right? Maybe there's a lot, of, a lot of people we would talk to, but, but there's this one person at, at work or at school or in our neighborhood, and I don't know, maybe they, they major in philosophy at UCLA or something, and, and you're like, man, they're just so smart. Like, I can't, I can't talk with them. Or maybe you're, maybe you're afraid that you'll get in trouble. Right? And there are a lot of things that we should be ashamed of or that we could get in trouble for. This is not one of them. Or you might be afraid at work that, that you could lose your job, or, or maybe not that extreme, but maybe you'll just be passed up for opportunities or a promotion. Um, or, or students, I, I hear this misconception a lot that, that students can't talk in school about what they believe. You can. Uh, you, you actually have more rights than, than Christian teachers do at school. You can talk about Jesus. Um, my, my youngest right now, Maddie, she's been talking to her little friend, uh, her little first grade friend all year about God. And she comes home and she says, so-and-so doesn't believe God exists. So-and-so doesn't believe God created everything. So-and-so doesn't believe in Jesus. And, and so we have these great conversations and then I, she's going back and, and they're, they're talking with her. We didn't tell her, go do this. She's just, she's just doing this. She wanted on her own to give her a, a Bible for Christmas. And um, Lynn's was having to write a little note in the Bible and, and Maddie's starting to write. And I think she was starting to write, I know you won't want to read this. And, and Maddie or Lindsay interjected and, and kind of shifted that um, a little more positive. So uh, all that to say, students, like you can talk about Christ in your schools. Uh, the context of, of verse 8, I think, gives us the reason for the boldness, the confidence that, that they had. Back in, in verse 8, I know it's not part of our passage today, but it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just goes off into, into speaking about Jesus I think it's easy for us to have this, this mindset. Like we look at Peter and, and John, and we're like, man, I want to be bold by that. I need to, I need to find a way to, to muster up this boldness. I need to try harder. I want to make myself to be courageous like them. But this boldness from within them was because the Holy Spirit dwelt in them. It reminds me of uh, Joshua, who, who was Israel's leader after Moses. The beginning of Joshua chapter 1, as Moses has died, God is he's, he's encouraging Joshua, he's instructing Joshua. He talks a lot about courage in, in that first chapter. I'm just going to give you verse 9, though. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's true for all of us. God's presence is, is with us. That's what gives us courage. We need not be afraid. We need not be discouraged, even when circumstances are discouraging. So the first option they made about Peter and John was their boldness. The second was that they were uneducated. 
They're common men. And Luke says they're astonished by this, right? These are just everyday guys, right? They could tell they hadn't been trained in in a religious school. They they didn't study under rabbi so-and-so. And they're shocked by this. When people find out that I'm a pastor, I think many of them expect like, there's a good chance we're going to talk about God at some point. Or, or they feel freedom. You know, they, 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 they hear something in the news or they've heard something about the Bible and, and they, they ask me a question. They're, they're not shocked, right, when I talk to them uh, about God. Right? This is what I went to school for. It's, I'm literally paid to talk about Jesus, so it's not shocking. But when people that aren't paid to talk about Christ, right, when they just want to talk about Jesus because he has saved them, that is shocking. It is shocking when a coworker realizes that, man, you keep reading your Bible like on break, or, or, or they hear like you listening to, to this music about God all the time, and they hear you talk about Jesus, that's astonishing to them. All right, school is is great. It is great the access that we have to not only local uh, biblical uh, uh, schools right now, but but because of the internet, obviously, like you can you can go to so many different seminaries, you can take so many different classes, and, and for some people that might be a great path for you. But you don't have to get a degree to talk about Jesus. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? If if you can articulate the gospel, you have what you need. I've got a friend right now that he just cannot stop talking about Jesus. Like everywhere he goes, he'd be the first to tell you that he doesn't know his Bible super well. He's not proud of that. He spent like his whole adult life, like really not reading his Bible, like going to church uh, often, going on Sundays, but, but thinking that it's just like the super Christians that read their Bibles. And, and he's, so he's trying to tell people about Jesus and it's hard um, to some degree because there's so much he, he doesn't know. He remembers hearing this in a sermon or that in a sermon or reading that at one point. So he's, he's calling his pastor, talking to him. He's, he's texting me. He's like, man, what's that thing that Paul said? I'm like, you gotta give me more than that. <laughs> um, but but he's, he's just hungry to talk about Jesus. He's reading scripture all of the time. You don't, you don't need to wait till you have training or have a degree. It, those are great, right? Um, to start telling others about Jesus. So they, they observed that they were, they were just normal guys, uneducated, common guys, and they were astonished by that. Last observation, it says they noticed, they, they realized that they'd been with Jesus in verse 13. Now, many in this group had questioned Jesus before his death. And now as they hear Peter and John, like, man, this, these guys remind us of Jesus. They recognize they'd been with Jesus, right? And isn't that just a description of a disciple? Back in, in Mark uh, 3, 14, it says that Jesus selected the, the 12, that they might be with him and he might send them out. Right? Christians are ones who've been with Jesus by his Holy Spirit, that we are with Jesus through his word, that we're with Jesus. The disciples of, of Jesus are those who've been with Jesus or sent out by Jesus to tell anyone who will listen to the gospel message as Peter and John proclaim, right, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he wrongly suffered and died, that he was vindicated by his resurrection, that his power, it was the power at work in this story to heal the crippled man and that salvation is only through him. 
verse 14, and we won't take that long on every verse. Verse 14, but seeing a man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The council is just left speechless. Now, they, they're not trusting in Jesus here, but they didn't know what to say because the healed man is right there before them, right? There's no denying the miracle. God made it so that these educated religious leaders with power, they didn't know what to say to Peter and John in the words that they had said. And I wonder in that moment if Peter and John remembered what's recorded by Luke in, in chapter 21, verse 15 from Jesus. He promised, he said, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict, right? That happened right there for them. So the council didn't know what to do. So they have Peter and John step out so they can game plan. And they're asking, like, what do we do with these guys? Like, obviously, the crippled man's been healed. There's no getting around that. But we can't stand that Jesus is getting all of this attention. So verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, they said, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And the, the way Luke records that, it, it's like they just don't even want to say the name of Jesus. Harry Potter fans, it reminds me of he who must not be named. Like they just fear this power. There, there's something, and that's goofy, I know, but there's something about the name of Jesus that, that, that people know it, it's different, right? It's different than how like our culture just generically talks about God. We'll, we'll hear lots of famous people just talk about God, but, but it's different when they, when they talk about Jesus himself. We know who they're talking about there. So the plan is to get them to stop talking about Jesus. Let's see how that goes. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We know from scripture that we as Christians are called to obey authorities. Right? We can look at Romans 13, Titus 3, Colossians 3, Hebrews 13. But scripture is clear that when authority over us, and that could be a boss, that could be a teacher, parents, that could be elected officials. When authority over us contradicts what Jesus has commanded his followers, we follow Jesus and we live with the consequences so here's three observations from this passage when, when, we, when we share the gospel. The first is that we have authority to preach the gospel. The, the problem here is the religious leaders, the authority they had was not as high as the authority given to the apostles. Jesus himself had given authority. He authorized his followers to preach the good news everywhere they went. So you, you could say it is the right of every Christian to speak about Jesus, to share the good news about Jesus, right? Not because a local government or even constitution gives you the right, it's Jesus himself that gives you the right to talk about Jesus, to talk about his love for the world, to speak about the forgiveness of sin, to tell others that, that you love Jesus because he first loved you. So we have authority to speak about Jesus because he has given it to us. The second, we see Peter and John are compelled to speak the gospel. 
Right? They, they say, we have to speak about what we've seen, about what we've heard. They couldn't help it. They knew the gospel was true. They knew that God had saved them from their sin. They knew that Jesus was falsely arrested and crucified, that he'd risen from the dead. Right? He showed them himself that the scriptures all pointed to him. They heard him give their mission to tell the world. They saw him ascend. They knew that he would return one day, so they couldn't help but talk about Jesus, what they had seen, what they had heard. So maybe you, you think, well, I don't feel compelled to tell people about Jesus. It just isn't me. It's not my personality type. It's not in my DNA. Isn't that just for like ministry leaders or, or pastors or, or super Christians? There's strong warnings about this in Scripture. Revelation 21, 8 gives this, this list. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is second death. And when we look at that list, I don't think we're surprised to see some things on there. Murderers, those described as detestable, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. But does it catch you off guard that it says the cowardly? the faithless. And what was he talking about here? Jesus said this in Luke 9, 26. He said, for whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Right? I don't want to be ashamed to talk about Jesus. And throughout scripture, God's invited us. He's, he's commanded us to talk about him. We look in Psalm 96, 3. And this feels like the Great Commission. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples, right? We get to talk about how great God is, about what he has done, about how he has saved us. Mark's version of the Great Commission is in Mark 16, 15. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Then he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Right? Like, like ruin upon me, Paul says, if I don't speak the gospel. So are we compelled to speak about Jesus? Are we compelled? Like, like my friend that I told you about, he just cannot stop speaking about Jesus. Why? Well, because he knows what Jesus has done. He knows that Jesus has saved him because people are compelled to speak about Jesus. The third, every time we share the gospel, every time we speak about Jesus, there is the possibility of opposition and persecution. Now, in our country, we will not likely face uh, what so many of our brothers and sisters face around the world, uh, the persecuted church. We probably aren't going to jail for sharing the gospel, at least not anytime soon. You won't be publicly beaten by governing authorities for talking about Jesus. The, the freedom that we have in the U.S. to worship God, it is incredible. Like the, the, we get to be here right now. Every Sunday, I take it for granted that, that we could do this every day of the week if we wanted, right? That, that, that you, could, you can go and, and, and pray or read your Bible any, anywhere you want. Like we take this for granted. It is truly an anomaly in Christian history. 
And that, that may change over time in our country, but we have so much freedom. Even still, though, we can face opposition. We still can face forms of persecution. Right? We, we, we certainly can be ostracized. Right? We can face discrimination. We've seen um, examples of that in our country. You may lose friendships. Some of you have essentially lost your family for trusting in Jesus. You've been rejected. At work, maybe you won't uh, get that promotion or you won't get those same opportunities. You might be mocked. Jesus said this in John 15, 20. He said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We need to expect that there will be times where we face, face opposition and persecution. Chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter and John, they, they faced opposition, they faced persecution. In the coming chapters, we're going to see more and more of that coming against the church, and we'll see more and more of their, their courage, their boldness, their bravery. In this case, the religious authorities, they, they could go this far, but God did not let them go any further than, than these threats, and they released them. So two pieces of application as we wrap up today, and, and they're, they're obvious. Any one of you could have come up with these thinking back to 4 or 13, they'd recognize them as those who'd been with Jesus. Man, we need to spend time with Jesus to be like Jesus. Or the Apostle John, he would say, we need to abide in Jesus. I'm sure that each of us have had that friend or family member or coworker that uh, for a season of your life, you're just together all the time. You're spending so much time together that, that you, you, you begin to sound like each other, right? You're kind of mirroring uh, the way you talk, the, the inflection of your voice, even facial expressions, right? And, and you can't remember who first started to say that thing or who made that joke because you, you've, you, it's like you've morphed into the same person. I mean, if we're calling ourselves disciples of Jesus, then, then we need to be like Jesus. And the only way for that is to, to be with Jesus. Right? How will we ever show the world Jesus if we aren't like him? We've got to spend time with Jesus. And I think it's, it's easy for a lot of people that call themselves Christians to really just treat Jesus like an acquaintance. You like him. You'll hang out with him when it's convenient or if you happen to be around each other. But following Jesus, it means that you have this intimate relationship with him that's, that's ever growing, that he, he's invited you into. Why wouldn't we spend more and more time with Jesus? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he occupy more and more of our focus, our attention, our adoration as we come to see this, this loving God that knows us and we're growing and knowing him? So do you have a relationship with Christ or is, is Jesus an acquaintance. I read this about abiding with Jesus. Someone said, to abide in Jesus means living in a daily close relationship with him, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. The Holy Spirit's presence and activity within Christians gives evidence that they are abiding in Christ. 
So the first piece of application is if we want to be like Jesus, we got to spend time with Jesus. And, and the second is way too wordy, so I'm going to, on the fly, try and make this less wordy. Um, as we pray, we need to pray not that, that God would get rid of opposition and trouble and persecution, but that he would give us boldness. Right? We need to pray for boldness no matter what we face. It's shocking the first few times that you hear quotes from uh, people of the persecuted church all over the world. When they ask for prayer, so often we hear, hey, don't pray that God would take away the persecution. Pray that God would give us the strength to stand faithful uh, for Jesus in the midst of persecution, right? This is the message we hear over and over and over again. We've got to pray. We've got to pray that, that, that God's spirit would make us bold, that we recognize that we've got presence with us all the time, that we would be faithful to Jesus. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you that the scripture's clear that, that we don't muster up this boldness on our own. It's, it's, it's you within us, Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, I pray that you'd fill us. Uh, I pray that we would be a people that, that are walking around filled by you, trusting in you, growing in, in, in our trust that you will give us the words, that you will speak through us, trusting that, that there are people that you are going to save when, when your people share about Jesus. Spirit, we thank you that you are the one that points to Christ. Would you help us? Would you help us, Lord? Would you give us a, a boldness, even in the face of, of fears, of, 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 of perceived um, opposition or, or, or even real opposition. God, would we trust in you, Jesus? Lord, we love you. We, we thank you that you loved us enough to come, to live for us, to die for us. We thank you that you've risen from the dead, that you've gone to be with the Father, and you will return one day for us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.